Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 16th of March 2012. I always suggest for newcomers to the show to go into the archive section at cuttingthroughthematrix.com and you'll find hundreds and hundreds of audios for a free download where hopefully you'll start to understand the system you've been born into and how vastly different it is from the, the way you've been conditioned to perceive it and how you, you first learn from your parents who have been conditioned before and then once you go into school you're given another indoctrination which prepares your mind for uh, accepting propaganda in the future. Again, scientifically driven and, uh, and it works too very, very well. It's worked for a long time and they're getting even better at it all the time with indoctrination techniques. So help yourself. you find out the big organizations that run the world, always have run the world for over 100 years, and how the rich men came together with their various cabals and, um, and formed societies with fronting foundations, which they could funnel all their tax money into, and, and then fund hundreds of NGOs, non-governmental organizations, to protest governments, and to lobby governments, they're full-time lobbyists, these are NGOs, they're not little tin can collection agencies. Uh, they're given tremendous money, massive money, and some of the CEOs of the non-profit groups now earn over a million dollars or more per year quite easily. So we live in a fantasy, a fantasy designed by the masters, they call themselves the masters, uh, who are in the know, the real know, the real understanding of what the world's all about. And they give a completely different education and they know how to manipulate it. And they want to make sure that it goes on for another hundred years with their offspring in charge, as they have done already for the past. So help yourself to that. Remember too, you are the people who bring me to you. So you can support me by buying the books and discs at cuttingthroughthematrix.com because I don't bring on advertisers and I don't bring, uh, I don't have shares in any companies or whatever that sell any products. So from the US to Canada, you can still use a personal check. You can, uh, you can use, send cash. Some people use PayPal and across the world. And it's also an international postal money order from the US too, from to Canada, which is valid. Across the world, you've got Western Union, MoneyGram, and PayPal once again. And uh, donations are really welcome, really, really welcome. Where we're going with the world is into uh, the realms of science fiction. Science fiction really was simply the the way it was given to us to... It's called predictive programming, actually. Anything you enjoy, enjoy in sci-fi, whether you're reading a book or watching the movie, is implanting ideas of possibilities which are more than possibilities because it gets you used to the idea of something really different happening in the future. So when it comes along, you accept it. It's familiar to you. And then you think, well, I guess it must have happened that way. 
uh, this, I have no choice but to, but to be that way. But nothing is further from the truth because almost all science fiction writers belong to the futurist societies. And remember, the first ones were set up by Rothschild in England and, again, uh, Rockefeller and others in America to bring on board young novelists who would then sit on in scientific meetings and also the agendas meetings and write their agenda into the story to familiarize us with where they would take us. And that's how simply it works. Very, very work. It works very well indeed. So we live in a time, as I say, where we're going through these massive changes. This is the century of change that uh, those in, in the big academies talked about for the last 50 years. Uh, this is the century for it, the 21st century, and we see all the changings occur. We're living through it like a roller coaster now. As they go over complete control of the earth, everything in it, including you. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back cutting through the matrix. We get so used to the, the changes that we adapt very quickly. And, of course, the big boys that planned all of this talked about our, our ability to adapt to anything that, that our masters give us, basically, written by the masters themselves. And how very few people in the public, 80%, they said, uh, this was Charles Galton, Darwin, 80% are sheep, basically, he said. And uh, they, they will simply follow any leader that comes along or, or, or bosses them around. They are quite content with their... The situation it doesn't matter if it's a new situation, they'll adapt into it quickly because everyone else is adapting in at the same time. And that's really how they view the world. I'm good, I obey all the rules, and, uh, and they're told to update themselves into a new bunch of rules, and they do so. So these people really are out of the picture. And in the 20%, he went on to say, were the, the, the troublemakers, the goats, the ones who, who tended to criticize just because the rest went along with something, they tend to criticize them. So uh, it's a part of truth in, in both of that for sure. But there's also a part to do with that. the goats on the mountain. They're, they're above it all. They're looking down at it all. And you can see the herds beneath them. And, uh, uh, and they know the real picture because it's the only proper view you can have is from the top down. But so many things are changing so quickly, and we accept them. We accept authority, obedience to authority. I've mentioned the book so many times, but uh, it's a must-read. And it's written again by uh, the guys who, who did uh, the different testing in universities in the U.S. to do with the, the pain threshold. Would you obey authority if you were told to shock a person to death? Same guys uh, who, who did that. And, of course, they knew all that long before he did his book because he had the whole of the era of Lenin and Stalin to study as well. He had all that data, so he knew darn well that it wasn't a post-World War II uh, phenomena or even uh, during World War II. Long before that, the Russians had tested all of this stuff out, will you kill your friend? And they did it for real. And people tend to do whatever they're told by an authority figure. As long as the authority figure says they will take all responsibility for for the outcome. That's how most folk are, unfortunately. Isn't that terrible to, to think that? Most folk truly are like that. And so they'll do anything. And that's why they'll go into a firing squad and shoot people, and etc., etc., etc. Which shows you that, because it's been done in every every ethnic group, any ethnic group will do the same thing. And that's the history of the world, too, when it comes down to it. 
In fact, if you don't do it, if you don't go and shoot uh, uh, some guy tied up and blindfolded, then probably the officers will end up telling the rest of the guys to shoot you. Democracy is wonderful that way, you know. You get so many choices. But anyway, this article here is about, also about police invasions because they're on the rise as the police. It's like an unwritten rule that's been put out there uh, we haven't heard of. I was looking at one article, for instance, to do with 300 different uh, uh, killings in Britain by the police on civilians over the past few years. Not one policeman has gone to jail for it. They've been given the authority, you see, to do as they will. And the message is really for the public to get that through their heads, which it does eventually seep through, that, that cops can do whatever they want to you. But in British Columbia and Canada, because they have the excuses to grow operations from marijuana, there's been so many home invasions by the SWAT teams, which is not a pleasant experience. You know, they don't come in and want to talk to you that you're down face on the floor. They tie you up behind your hands behind the back, even the children, guns at the head, and all the rest of it. This one's to do with something that happened uh, this month in British Columbia. It says, an ABC man, uh, British Columbia man, who raises tropical fish, said his home and privacy were invaded when local enforcement agencies knocked on his door while looking for a marijuana grow operation and then forced him to, forced him to pay for an electrical inspection and upgrade his fish tank operation. No kidding. See, they've got to get something on you. It doesn't matter how silly or pathetic or trivial it is to justify the fact they come in and smash your doors in and come through the windows because they like playing, you know, like the actors on television. They really do. They're children in uniform. He says, I felt violated, said Mike Bain, 67, from Surrey, B.C., when they came in here and saw no grow up. I think they should have said, I'm sorry, Mike, and then turned around and walked out. Well, that was in the good old days, you know, when they were half decent. Baines is one of 128 Surrey residents who don't have grow operations, but were nevertheless subjected to searches and electrical repair orders in recent months because they use a lot of electricity. That's why they call it hydro here. I think this is an invasion of privacy, he said. Well, you don't think about it. It is an invasion of privacy. It's more than that. I don't think that the city of Surrey has anything to do with my hydro consumption. Seven British Columbia municipalities, including Surrey, are registered with BC Hydro to get monthly lists of all customers who use more than three times the daily average amount of power. Well, what is the daily average amount of power? At one time, it's as much as you want to pay for, right? But you see, they've all got smart meters now, and these things are spying on you. And if you were suddenly to go off gassy and put in a cooker that's electric and things like that, they want to know why. You may get a SWAT team coming in. Anyway, it says, uh, teams of electrical and fire inspectors then go out to homes they suspect could be marijuana grow operations to conduct searches with the RCMP standing by outside. So they're, so they're doing this without warrants, you see. They get home inspectors to do it for fire or, or whatever. And it says uh, residents first get a written notice that says it, they don't, uh, cons- if they don't consent to a search within 40 hours, the team will seek a warrant. I heard a noise outside, and then when I went and looked, I had this big yellow notice stuck on the door, said Burns. Because he wasn't doing anything illegal, Bain said he had no problem giving his permission. In hindsight, he said he wishes he'd asked more questions. See, folk would disobey because they're scared. You know, authority, authority. You're taught that in school, and that's part of the reason you're forced to go to school. 
to teach you to be obedient to authority. He says they come in, they look around, different guys wander around here and there, and the electrical inspector comes in and he looks at the power bars under the aquariums, and he says, I don't like those power bars on the floor, said Burns, Baines. Maybe they should be halfway up, you know, maybe put on wires hung from the ceiling. Anyway, he says, I misunderstood the system. I didn't know that they had the power to order a safety electrical inspection. Bain said he was ordered to hire an electrician to look at his 19 fish tanks, which cost him $800. He added it was cheaper than it could have been because a retired electrician, he did, he isn't a retired electrician, he did some of the work. He was told the power bars he uses for his fish tank posed a hazard. And Baines was told the power bars he uses for his fish tanks pose the hazard. Well, I don't know why it pose a hazard. I think um, these municipal inspectors have to justify their existence. They have to justify the fact that, see, without justification, you could sue them. You understand? They're still trying to prove they have the authority to get access. And, and, and harass you, by the way. You can sue folk for harassing you. And therefore they try to come back, oh, your electrical system is not up to scratch. Anyway, so they turn around and says, we can't find any grow-up. There's no marijuana growing. But just in case, slap, do this. And some of the quotes I got for electricians to fix his power bars now were $3,000. The electrician who did the inspection confirmed Baines did nothing wrong, but some of his wiring wasn't up to code. Baines then made some upgrades to his fish tanks, which he felt were unnecessary. He says he was picked on. Well, of course he was. The stats show for the first time last year, more often than not, the Surrey teams found no illegal grow-ups at homes they inspected. In 2011, they found 82 marijuana grow operations, but also issued 120 electrical repair notices to law-abiding residents like Baines. Now, in this day and age, they know who's doing what. You can't keep anything secret. If they want to put a car outside somebody's house and watch who goes in and out, if they've got a grow-up on the go, they can do so rather than just smash people's doors down and walk in and harass everybody. You see? So when you don't find anything and you still look for a reason to issue an order, I call it harassment. He said, and I'm paying for that. I pay taxes here. So, since the program started in 2005, the teams have inspected 2,253 homes, of which 1,158 were confirmed as illegal grow operations. Those homeowners were fined between 2,300 and 3,600, Garris said. So I guess he had to pay 3,000, this guy here, for the electrical upgrade and inspection. It would have been cheaper if he had a marijuana plant grown, because then he would only been fined $2,300. And it says many have no grow ops. A slightly fewer homes, 1,067 inspectors found no evidence of illegal cooperations. Of those, 642 had legitimate reasons for high hydro bills. The other 425, like Baines, were given repair notices for electrical violations requiring them to do upgrades. So what, what it's all about is just harassing more and more people to obey, obey, obey. And it's such a joke. It, it really is such a, and a cost to the taxpayer again for all these different raids. Well over a thousand, and they don't find anything. This is ordinary people. Who's maybe changed, as I say, to an electric cooker or something, or electric heating. A lot of folk got fed up with the price of oil. They said electricity would drop, which it didn't, of course. And um, a lot of folk are using electricity to heat themselves now. Also tonight, I'll put up a link to uh, Aldous Huxley, the letter from Aldous Huxley to George Orwell, 
over the 1984 novel because they wrote to each other all the time, these two, to see which kind of world system of domination would come in. And Huxley, in fact, taught Orwell at one point at university, but so then they always kept in touch. And it says they were both critically acclaimed writers who were ahead of their time, creating imaginative visions of the future in their novels. Well, there were more than that because they sat in on world meetings. They were from the, the, the class, too, that sat in on world meetings. And Aldous Huxley, his brother Julian, as I say, was the head of UNESCO, United Nations. Uh, I read some of this stuff yesterday. And they knew of all the plans to alter humans physically uh, by using hormones and different techniques to do so. And... Um, and drugs as well. So I'll go over this letter uh, when I come back, this correspondence between the two of them as they debated who would rule the world, totalitarian boots or the psychological scientific bunch. Back with more after this. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. We're reading an article here by Huxley, Aldous Huxley, The Descent to George Orwell, uh, about the different kinds of society that would come in the future. Would it come in through the big boots of war, uh, or would it be brought in gradually through scientific means or whatever? And it says, uh, this is what uh, Huxley says, My own belief is that the ruling oligarchy will find less arduous and wasteful ways of governing and of satisfying its lust for power. So he admits that's part of the reason they get up there, but psychopaths always crave power, you see. He says, and these ways will be will resemble those which are described in Brave New World. And his, his novel Brave New World, published 17 years before Orwell's, had foreseen a society characterized by medicated contentment, as drugs and pharma, a widely accepted eugenic-supported caste system, and they're actually talking about that now and creating new types of humans, basically, for different tasks. And a government-enforced obsession with consumerism. But Orwell's novel presentation or presented a nightmarish vision and gave birth to the phrases Big Brother, Thought Crime and Doublethink, all now commonly used to describe increased state control. The book was later made into a film, a film starring George Hurt, or John Hurt is, Richard Burton and Susanna Hamilton. In the letter, Huxley began by echoing the positive reviews for 1984, telling Orwell how fine and how profoundly important the book is. Going on to focus on the differences between their predictions, however, Huxley wrote, The philosophy of the ruling minority in 1984 is a sadism which has been carried to its logical conclusion by going beyond sex and denying it. And he says, whether in actual fact the policy of the boot on the face can go on indefinitely seems doubtful. Well, I don't see why not. It's getting worse all the time. We're pretty well there. Then he goes on to say, my own belief is that the ruling oligarchy, the ruling oligarchy, there's always been a, and he, he called them that, Huxley called them the, the ruling oligarchy, and he was related to most of them. Um, and he also called another bunch the, the dominant minority, that's another term he used, will find less arduous and wasteful ways of governing and of satisfying its lust for power. And these were the ways I resembled, uh, which I described in Brave New World. It was written by Huxley from his California home in October 1949, a few months after the release of Orwell's book. And the relationship between the two authors began in 1917. Can you imagine way back then they're discussing even how the world would turn out? 
talk about using pharma to dope populations, etc., all that kind of stuff. Well, Huxley was a tutor at Eton and Orwell was a pupil, Huxley taught French. Huxley's other students at Eton included the social, the writer and scholar Harold Acton. And the, the whole letter actually is in this particular article, and I'll put up uh, the link to it tonight after I finish the broadcast. But it's, it's quite interesting to read that these guys were talking about this stuff in the 30s and 40s because they were, they were attendees of world meetings of a very small world minority of incredibly rich people and very old families that held on to their power. And we are living through it today, as I say. We're we're living through a combination of both right now. We've all had the scientific indoctrination, the media takes over, and and then through a television, uh, they can give you, even through comedies or dramas, they can make you feel guilty about something you've never done, or even thinking about something in a certain way. They can make you feel happy at things you shouldn't be happy at, and they can even get you laughing at perversion. It's, it's quite something, which they said they'd be able to do too with scientific technique once again. Another article tonight is from Brzezinski, who talks about uh, the upcoming war with Iran. He says, if they, they, the Israelis do it, he says they will be on their own. The consequences will be theirs because the price will all pay based on a massive war which the Iranian uh, interpret as being done with our connivance will be disastrous for us in Afghanistan and Iraq in the terms of oil, but also in the Middle East more generally. So he gives his little spiel on that, and uh, he's all against it. Uh, it's, it's strange that because I know the other ones are dead for it, but he's kind of out to the loop here on this particular one. But at least he's, he's using some wisdom for a change. And morality and how things change in culture. Remember, culture is plastic. Culture is whatever ever is right and wrong uh, and approved by, again, the dominant minority, the ones who rule you in any era, in any country. And there's always an, an innate right and wrong. I don't believe that it's such a thing that's all taught to people. There's always an innate right and wrong. And people know that the basic things that, that are wrong even as children, they know it. You don't, you don't have to tell them, they know it. But of course, we're living in this moral relativity era where they're indoctrinated not to believe their basic instincts and to, to, you know, believe that they can do anything as right under the right circumstances. So everything changes and, uh, mind you, lots of groups are funded into, into existence. And um, and then they become power groups, basically. They're used by people above them, again, the dominant minority, and they don't know that. They don't know that at all. It's the easiest thing to get a bunch together and find out the ones who have been harmed by this, that, or whatever, and, and they've really got a grudge against something, and form a group out of the ones who put their hands up. It's quite an easy thing to do. Most folk are very socially orientated, and people who have grievances like to be around the same kind of people, same as left-wing and right-wing people, like to be around their own types of people. Very simple. But they're all used. And the one that's coming up is to do with transhumanism and why they're using the gay movement. Back with more after this. Your 
are listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. I'm back, cutting through the matrix, talking about how groups are formed and then used. And those at the top of the tree, again, dominant minorities, know how to start groups off and how to create divisions in society. And long ago, of course, the, even during the days of the League of Nations, even George Orwell, in one of his uh, writings, talked about this when he was just uh, he was attending the Authors Guild. The whole push was on in the 40s and 30s even about gay rights. They didn't call it gay rights then, it was homosexual rights. And because not everybody who's homosexual is actually happy. But anyway, it says, um, it says this article here, Fertility Company Targets Gay Men as Sperm Donors. So on the one part, it's a publicity stunt for the company, IVF company. And it's big, big money in in vitro fertilization. Big money because so many folk are going sterile, right? But long ago, as I say, the, the League of Nations and then the United Nations, they had their world conferences on population control, as, as Darwin did too. I mentioned that the other day too from his own book to do with uh, the robbers worried about populations and sizes of population. And they thought then if they could um, find different means that, that to make sure that male and female would not mate up and, and marry, because they connoted um, marriage with having children, you see, then the population would be reduced. So they also said if they promoted one type or another, such as uh, homosexuality or lesbianism, then that would, that would also fit the bill too. So here you are, have it today, it's all the, the new normal today, and it's taught in schools, in very young schools, even kindergarten in some schools, and um, in and, and some schools in Sweden, in fact, I've got an article here from a, a guy who translated uh, one from a Swedish article, uh, they, they, they call the males and the females in the kindergarten schools as hens, there's no male or female, it's a combination between he and she, apparently, in Swedish, and they call them hens. And they can dress them up as boys and girls and stuff like that. Big experiments, you see. So here's a fertility company targeting gay men as sperm donors. And it says, uh, Fertility Service IVF Australia is to launch an advertising campaign encouraging gay men to be sperm donors and promoting its services to same lesbian couples looking into, have ch- into having children. It's strange that, again, because after all, why don't they simply adopt? You see? And there's, there's so many children in homes, for instance. Why don't they adopt? But it's getting everybody used to the fact that science is creeping in between the male and the female of the normal process, you see. Science is coming in. And they're already talking about, oh, yeah, we can take all the bad genes out and, and the good genes in. And governments want a compliant population, as you well know. And that's really what's behind it. It's a form of transhumanism. Anyway, it says the campaign, which will include print, digital, and radio, will run in media outlets allied to the Pink Media Group sales house. The campaign asks for healthy, intelligent, and generous donors. That's the ones with carpal tunnel syndrome and tennis elbow. Amongst information available to prospective patients or parents is the sexual orientation of a sperm donor. So they've got professors behind it and all the usual stuff. You'll get paid money and all, all, all that kind of stuff. But as I say, it's transhumanism. It's just getting the public used. These articles are to make the public used or get them used to um, the idea of changing a, a child 
uh, or even creating a child or, uh, by removing genes and replacing them with other ones. That's really what it's all about. Interesting, too, that Raquel Welsh, uh, who was a, uh, she's an aging actress now, but at one time she was one of the, the, the bombshells of her era, and she says uh, the era of pornography has annihilated men. Uh, she's one of America's most revered sex symbols. She might not be the first celebrity to jump to mind as a crusader against pornography, but Raquel Welsh, who rose to the icon status as a beauty in the leather bikini from the 66 movie One Million Years B.C., told Men's Health magazine in an interview posted online March 8th that today's sex-saturated culture had sapped the meaning out of sex and damaged countless men through the pornography industry, which he called an exploitation of the poor male's libidos. And it's true, if you live in cities, you can't get away from it, from all the advertising in the streets everywhere. It's all over the place, and television and so on. She says it's just dehumanizing, and I have to say honestly, uh, I think this era of porn is at least partially responsible for it. Welsh set of rampant sexual addiction, and there is an awful lot of addictions now to do with that, all kinds of them. Where is the anticipation and the personalization? It's all prefabricated now. You have these images coming at you unannounced and unsolicited. It just gets to be so plastic and phony to me. She says maybe men respond to that, but is it really better than an experience with a real-life girl uh, that he cares about? It's an exploitation of the poor male's libidos, poor babies they can't control themselves. And she criticized men's modern habit of equating happiness in life with as many orgasms as you can possibly pack in and described the, the commitment to uh, non, uh, the, the concomitant loss of real masculinity in vivid terms. Well, there's more to it to say. Even young men uh, are losing interest in sex by the time they're, they're in their late 20s, sometimes 25. Because the sperm comes down, the, the testosterone levels down big time. And, uh, and and who's putting all these thoughts in their heads? Who gives you this culture? Your culture is created. It didn't come by itself. It's authorized. Just like the, the future uh, 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 culture that they're bringing in today is authorized as well by those from the top. And the people, of course, will have as many partners as possible, and they can't meet with anybody anymore. Or if they do meet, they can't, uh, they, they can't stay with that person with so much temptation around them. Because all the TV and all their pals are saying, oh, I've, I've had five, you know, this week. And that's common, common stuff. Ask any venereal disease clinic, <laughs> you get to talk to them there. I just imagine them sitting in front of the computers completely annihilated. They haven't done anything, they don't have a job, they barely have ambition anymore. And that's true. And as their testosterone level goes down too, they, they certainly lose ambition. Look at their eyes and the way they stare at you. You don't know if they're actually human sometimes. And it says, do they know how to negotiate something that isn't prefabricated and injected directly into their brain? Well, they don't know. They actually don't know how to do something normally anymore. They think their ideas are themselves. In fact, they adopt the culture they're born into. And, uh, of course, this is the end product of it all. So this part, this article, ties in with the last one as well. And they all tie in together, of course. That's the whole thing about all these articles. They tie in together to do with fertility clinics promoting uh, homosexual men for sperm so that the lesbians can get their the, the babies, etc., and... And then this one here too. We're, we're right on track with it all. In fact, I was, I was reading, I was reading 
the next million years again last night. I read a little bit from this book here. Uh, a real book made of paper. How old-fashioned, eh? And in it, Sir Charles Galton Darwin says, It is in the biological sciences that the most exciting possibilities suggest themselves, perhaps because biology has only recently shown rapid advances like those made earlier in the inorganic sciences. I will only speculate on a few amongst these possibilities which might have great effects on human life. I've already referred to the possibility of quite new sources of food, and I need not enlarge on that further. You think GM idea is new, eh? Another type of discovery may be connected with hormones, those internal chemical secretions which so largely regulate the operations of the human body. The artificial use of hormones has already been shown to have profound effects on the behavior of animals, and it seems quite possible that hormones or perhaps drugs might have similar effects on man. For example, there might be a drug which, without other harmful effects, removes the urgency of sexual desire. So you'd be, basically, you wouldn't care. Uh, And so reproduced in humanity the status of workers in a beehive. Then you'd have a, uh, you'd keep the population down and they'd all be kind of little drones. Or there might be another drug that produced a permanent state of of contentment in the recipient. After all, alcohol does something like this already, although it has other disadvantages. Disadvantages. A dictator would certainly welcome the compulsory administration of the contentment drugs to his subjects. But he goes into it even further in the book, and he talks about tinkering deliberately with the hormones of both male and female, which has been awfully successful when you go into um, videos like The Disappearing Male and other ones I've put up there at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. And if you go into the Horizon documentary in 1992, you actually see the microscope, under the microscope, the spermatozoa of males. And literally they're deformed and everything. In 20 years it happens compared to what they show you of a 50-year-old guy, a guy who, who's still going strong, and, and how they brought the, the population down almost effeminate within a span of 20 years by various means, artificial estrogens, etc., so there's nothing out there by chance. And that's why the, the, the UN prattles on about every year. Oh, the, the, the sperm counts dropped even further in males. And then they go on to the next topic. But they never explain anything and tell you why. And it's never a crisis. It's never a crisis, which means it's, it's deliberate, you see. That's why it's not a crisis. Anything that's outside of the planning, believe you me, that wasn't done by the dominant minority and, and authorized by them, anything outside of that would be a crisis because they're control freaks, you see. This article here, too, is interesting because all religions now uh, have been really hammered. And, of course, they said that part of the article I read yesterday, too, by uh, Julian Huxley talked about uh, the dogmas and religions and so on and how they'd have to do away with them uh, and bring in a new one, by the way, a new religion. And even the Club of Rome has got an article out on that today, bringing back faith back, get interfaith, and creating a new religion out of it for, for basically sustainability. That will be the new religion. Anyway, a priest who denied communion to lesbian is stripped of priestly faculties. Now, under the priest's doctrine and his own oaths, he's supposed to, to deny communion if people who break the rules as he's been taught them according to the, what he believes is the Holy Bible, you see. Now, like anything that you join, 
uh, generally the people have the right to kick you out if you go against whatever they believe in, whether it's uh, Masons or something else, you see, or any other organization. But it says here, uh, March 12th, it says, The Maryland priest who denied, denied communion to a lesbian at her mother's funeral is being placed on administrative leave, meaning he will not be able to exercise his priestly faculties, according to a letter from the Archdiocese signed by Auxiliary Bishop Barry Knestout, uh, it's called. Uh, Friar Marcel Gersnizo was previously censored by the Archdiocese after denying communication to Barbara Johnson, who'd reportedly introduced her lesbian lover to the priest in the sacristy right before her mother's funeral mass. According to a source close to the incident who spoke up with LifeSite News, Johnson's lesbian lover physically blocked Friar the Friar from speaking further with Johnson when she abruptly left the sacristy following this introduction. When Johnson presented herself for communion, the priest refused to give it to her, although she ended up receiving from an extraordinary minister. It was later revealed that Johnson is also a Buddhist. So this, this guy gets stripped for, his, for following his belief and all the rest of it that he's sworn to. That's his job. You don't have to go to him if you don't believe in it yourself. But this woman went to it even though she's a Buddhist and a lesbian. The Archdiocese issued an apology. Johnson has said that Friar Gernizzo's actions were against policy and that an investigation was underway. Well, whose policy? These are the oaths the guy took. You see? If you don't like it, don't go there. Huh, it's so amazing. It's so amazing. And the hypocrisy, too. You, you get hypocrisy is rampant in our society where the perpetrators of massive wars under the, the, the direction of the United Nations and NATO, NATO's just the military wing of the UN, uh, can I, they always turn, as, as I've mentioned this before, people who are abused often turn to the abuser for help, you know? Or the abuser will, will blame the one who's getting abused for causing their own circumstances. And it says here, the United Nations, see, eh? 1.3 million are still homeless from the Iraqi conflict. It wasn't a conflict, it was a walkover. A walkover where massive military went in for a long time and blew up all of their infrastructure. That was water wells, electrical supply houses, uh, everything was blown up, even their factories for food. The whole lot was demolished. Back in the Stone Age, it said at the time, bombed in the Stone Age, right? And then the big boys came in with their private mercenaries who worked alongside the armies to guard the oil fields for their bosses. And they've been looted ever since. Most of the money is just taken straight out of Iraq and oil. But here's what the UN is on about. Officials say more than 1.3 million Iraqis remain homeless after being forced to flee six years ago during widespread sectarian violence that threatened their lives. It's all sectarian, you understand. It wasn't those planes overhead and tanks coming in. United Nations diplomat Claire Bourgeois, which I name like middle class, a bourgeois, voiced concern Sunday that Iraq has not taken enough steps to help the homeless go back to a dignified life. So the Iraqis that got bombed into the Stone Age are getting blamed for 1.3 million of them still being homeless by the United Nations. Eh? Isn't that a typical disgusting technique which they use over again? She said squatters should be helped into permanent homes instead of evicted from empty buildings or public places where they're living. 
Many of the homeless have lost identification in other documents. That's because the houses were all blown up from the air. That would entitle them to government assistance. But all the oil money is going out the country anyway, too. So, blame the victim. Yep, now you're homeless. It's your fault. And now the, the U.S. also signed the biggest, one of the biggest trade deals for years, free trade deals, with uh, South Korea. And uh, I don't know when they're going to bring value-added tax into the U.S., but it must be soon because of all their free trade deals. The whole idea of value-added tax was put out by the Council on Foreign Relations years ago because they said when they brought their plan in of free trade across the world, all the import duties would be gone, and that helped keep the country going. So they'll have to shift their burden onto the people, the citizenry, to make it up with value-added tax. So I just wait to see when that's going to get brought in. Obama, might, he won't bring it in until he gets back in again. No doubt at all. Also, Rio 2012, of course, is coming up. And you're going to see nothing more or less than, than hundreds and hundreds of blogs and articles in the media getting you ready for this as though it's some official thing. It's a private organization, folks. But Maurice Strong. Private organizations get write up laws, give it to your governments that sign them into law. That's what they call democracy. This is one of the biggest questions being asked to lead up to the 20, Rio 20 conference. The student is also one of the oldest. In a nutshell, does, does the way human or humanity govern itself need a series of tweaks or a complete overhaul in order to meet the broadest ambitions of improving the lot of prisons, poorest of us, <laughs> prisoners, a prison planet, planets poorest, and safeguarding nature and making the global economy more sustainable. They're bringing in an Earth System Governance Project. That's everything, including total sharing of all your wealth across the planet. Total sharing. Back with more after this. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix and, and just talking about the changes that are all part of predictive programming for other bigger things ahead. Even even those who participate in the, in the changes today, the groups, etc., don't know themselves. They're all being used towards someone else's goal. They'd never know that. And when they think they're on a winning streak, and that's how they, what they allow them to think, and they fund them and so on, different groups, uh, they get more cocky and more arrogant uh, and then you find out the ultimate fate for all mankind, and of course it will be to create the perfect slave, basically. And Charles Galton Darwin talked about that. They've all talked about this at the world meetings, the perfect um, passive and, and obedient citizen who's always content. And that's what they're going for, of course, through it all. And also to confuse everyone else on the way, of to make sure that there's no such thing as normal, you see. Now, there's Emmett on the line there from Ireland. Are you there, Emmett? Hello? Yes. Hi, Alan. How are you? Not bad at all. Yeah. That's good. Uh, I'm a long-time listener, first-time caller. And uh, first of all, I just want to say thanks for all that you do. It's, I'd say it's helped me quite a lot over the past few years. Um, I just wanted to make uh, one or two comments about the educational system. Yeah. Um, I'm in college at the moment, and I've been in one or two colleges, and I've noticed that that there is a huge agenda to program the minds of the young to prepare them for this next phase 
and there are, I, I even noticed it back in secondary school or, or high school. Um, but in college at the moment, you know, I study English, among other things. But um, I find that Marx and Freud are both figures that are heavily promoted in in college and university. Yeah. Um, I even the other day it was just a, le- a lecture on the history of drama, and then suddenly there's this huge image of Karl Marx with a quotation from him in this lecture hall full of about 200, 300 students, you know, and and that's not the first time, you know. Then suddenly there's this whole psychoanalytic approach with quotes from Freud and the promotion of uh, psychology and psychiatry and Marxism. Um, so I just kind of wanted your comment uh, on the educational system. Well, the educational system is essential, as I say. Jacques Chalol said it, the philosopher, that uh, your, your subsequent lifelong ability to download propaganda directly into your mind depends upon your schooling. Without the schooling, it will not work, he said. It's designed to go with schooling. And, and school prepares you to simply believe the propaganda that comes down the pipe subsequently. But uh, it's interesting, too, uh, that um, uh, Julian Huxley from the UNESCO said the same thing about Marx and, uh, and the other forms of, of consumer capitalism. He says the two are essential. The two are essential all through the Cold War and so on. He says in order to create the dialectic and then bring them together into a, a new uh, a synthesis at the end for the world and of course the one, the one we're going in today is a blend of socialism or communism uh, along with capitalism at the top under the guise of CEOs massive corporations uh, acting in government capacities so uh, uh, it's not just in your country though uh, the march has been heavily pushed I mean Canada you might say uh, is a big part of their agenda at university is Karl Marx and the whole agenda uh, and, of course, the environmental systems have been brought into it, too, that under that guise, the sharing of wealth across the world, they can help the environment and, and, sh- and so on and so on and so on. In other words, this system we're going into now was worked out a hundred-odd years ago or more, lo- actually long before that. And centralization of government will go into a, a world government. That's what Marx was after. Yeah. yeah. Okay, thanks, Alan. Thanks very much. And thanks for calling. Call again. From Hamish and myself from Ontario, Canada, where there's never enough time really, an hour just flies by. It's good night to me, your God, or your God's go with you.